Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. One of the things that has helped me the most is just accepting myself with the struggle. It's like, okay, I struggle with that. All right, well, that's okay. Because we end up, we we shame ourselves. And I, I think that that's all part of it. We need to love that part of ourselves and accept ourselves with the struggle. And when we do that, it seems to free us from the struggle. And the struggle for our guest today was an eating disorder and not wanting to pass that along to her daughter. We're joined today by Lucille Williams. She's a regular guest here on Connections. She's also the author of the book, Impossible Kids. Today, we're talking about breaking the cycle of family dysfunction. What is dysfunction? How do we put an end to it? How do we stop that cycle? She's going to answer all of those questions today on Connections. We're joined today by Lucille Williams. She's a national speaker. She's ministered to couples and families for more than 25 years. She's also the author of a book titled The Impossible Kid. And she's a break. We're joined today by Lucille Williams. She's a national speaker. She's also... We're joined today by Lucille Williams. She's a national speaker. She's ministered to couples and families for more than 25 years. She's the author of a book titled The Impossible Kid and a regular guest here on Connections. So we're just going to start off by introducing this chapter and what we're discussing today. It's breaking the cycle of family dysfunction. What do you mean by breaking the cycle of family dysfunction? Every family has dysfunction. Every family. It's whether or not you're going to recognize it. (laughs) And I, you know, you grow up and things happen and you say, I'm never going to do what my parents did. I'm not going to do that. And then you have your own children and you find yourself doing those same things that you all the time. Yes. (laughs) Like the things that messed you up is the stuff that you're you're passing on. And somehow we need to learn how to break that. Like, for instance, my name is Lucille. My mother's name is Lucille. And I hated my name all growing up because kids would tease me all the time. There was always some famous song or some famous person they'd make fun of me because of. And one day I was an adult and I I finally got up the courage and I said, mom, we were taking a walk. I said, mom, do you like your name? And she said, no. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Are you kidding me right now? I'm thinking, are you kidding me right now? And and I just looked at her and I'm like, so why? (laughs) Why in the world would you give it to me? And she said, well, your dad loved the name. It's like, Uh. okay, well, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like that's a good enough reason. Like, (laughs) If you you grew up not liking your name, don't pass it on to your kid. But it's funny because I ended up turning into loving my name later. But it's just funny. You know, she she passed that down. It was something she didn't like. And she just passed it down without even thinking about it. That's so funny. Like, do you like it? No. So I gave it to you. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. What a great example, though, of things. Yeah, we totally do that as parents, right? Things I didn't like that my parents did, but yet I do it all the time still to my kids. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So like when you talk about dysfunction, like that's just an example, right? Like, oh, things we didn't like, but we pass it on. But what is dysfunction then to you? How do we define that? That's a really good question. There is so much dysfunction. I just think things that are just not healthy. And I know for me, you know, I struggled with an eating disorder um, for many years and I had to get help in my early twenties to, to finally break the cycle. I had bulimia and 
it was a, I mean, you know, food in my family was like an event. You know, I grew up in an Italian family and I had an uncle who would eat uh, meatballs whole. It's like, come on, kids, gather around. Uncle Pat's going to eat a meatball. And we'd <laughs> meatball and he'd put it in his mouth whole and we'd all cheer, you know, I mean, it was crazy. It was like an event. So when I had my daughter, I'm like, okay, I'm not passing on my eating problems that I have. I'm not passing it on to my daughter. I'm just not. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to be real progressive. I'm going to be this cool mom. And I'm just going to let her eat whatever she wants. It's not going to be an issue. I'm just going to let her eat whatever she wants. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. So I go to the doctor when she's three. And, you know, of course the doctor says, uh, Mrs. Williams, uh, she's really chubby. You, you need, she needs to lose weight. I couldn't breathe. I'm in the doctor's office. I could not breathe. I'm like, oh my goodness. I, I passed on my eating issues to my daughter. Like here mm. she's free and she's already chubby. And I was just, I couldn't believe it. So I went home and I was just devastated. And I talked to my husband. I talked to a friend. One of my friends were like, well, what do you think? I mean, that's what the doctor says, but what do you think? And I thought about it. I'm like, she's chubby. She's really chubby. And so I just didn't know what to do. And I, I, so my husband and I sat down, we came up with a plan and we're like, okay, well, obviously we can't just let her eat whatever she wants because she can't regulate herself. So we need to regulate her. We need to regulate her. And so we started just monitoring what she ate, made sure she ate, you know, and the right amount for her body because she was just this little kid, but she would eat way beyond what she should be eating. And it was a year, it was years of battling her. She used to beg me, she'd eat like what would be equivalent of two dinners. And then she'd beg me for food the rest of the night. And I'd have to say, no, like, I, you know, you're done eating, you've eaten enough. And I'd say, well, here, you can have a carrot. And of course she didn't want that. So, you know, it was years of just, you know, working through that with her. And then, but when she got older, she finally learned how to regulate herself. And now she's thankful that I did that. Because she's, you know, she's, she's a healthy weight now. She was a teenager that, you know, was healthy, but you know, the, it started with the three-year-old checkup, but by the time she went back for her next checkup, she was a normal size and a normal weight because mm. we started, you know, we put her on a plan, but we didn't tell her that that was the key. You can't say, oh, you're on a diet. You can't eat that. We didn't do that. We just said, here's your lunch and, and didn't let her have, you know, over, you know, too many snacks and that kind of thing. I just started regulating it. And then I thought, you know, everything was fine. But after she was an adult, I found out that, you know, I was trying to hide that, you know, I struggled with that, but she knew, like I tried to, you know, I kind of kept it from my kids and because, you know, when you have an eating disorder, it just doesn't go away. It's something that just kind of stays with you and you have to learn how to live with it and manage it yourself and, you know, work. It's like addiction. Yes. That, yeah. And that's actually something I really worry about a lot because I struggled for years with drugs and addiction and I w- worry so much about passing that on to my kids. So I try and stop and often think like, okay, but what caused my need for drugs and addiction then, right? What was it? And a lot of it, I think, went to like self-medicating and emotional needs and things like that, right? So yeah. maybe being aware of those reasons, I guess, too. Yeah, well, that's, that's really great. You're so self-aware with that. That's amazing. And I think it's okay to talk to our kids about those things. I, you know, yeah. I don't think, you know, just keeping secrets from our own struggles, you know, keeping the, our own struggles to ourselves and not sharing them with our kids. I don't know that that's the best way to go. I mean, I tried to go that way, but um, I would talk to them about some of my other struggles, but just not that struggle. Cause I was afraid I would pass it to my daughter. But finally, um, my kids were teenagers 
And I heard my, my two kids talking about eating disorders and they were talking about bulimia and they were talking about how gross it was and I could hear them. And I just walked in the room they were in and I said, yeah, I understand that. That's, I had that. And they just, they were like, what? They just both gasped. And we had an honest conversation and I told them about it and I told them my struggle and I told them how I finally broke free from it. And I told them how, you know, God helped me in that when I finally handed it to God and getting therapy was, you know, what helped me get released from that, you know, stronghold. And, you know, I'm sure, Mike, you understand that because it's it's very similar to like a, a drug yeah. addiction. And but I think that it's OK to be age appropriate, honest with our kids and and talk about it. And I think that it's freeing for us. And I think it's educational for them. And, and they see us as human. You know, we, we don't have all the answers. We're, you know, we're just people. How important uh, is God in, in breaking that cycle? In our household, I grew up with an anorexic mother. Although we're all aware, I did the same thing as you. I'm not passing this down, but I see myself doing things in front of my child where I was like, no, 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 no. You've got to stop this. How important is it to involve God in this breaking the cycle? Because we are well aware of what we're doing, but we're not stopping it. Yes, absolutely. Well, if you look at any 12-step program like AA and, you know, any, you know, like I've been to Codependence Anonymous and it's the, those 12 steps. And, you know, one of the steps is you, you need to recognize, you know, they call it the higher power. But those of us who know God personally know that that higher power is God. But there's, you know, that's part of the equation is knowing that there's someone you can hand this to, and that is God. And I believe living by those 12 steps that, you know, AA promotes and all the other recovery groups, I think that's what gives us the freedom and the victory to live in a way that's free from those kind of addictions. What for you was the biggest thing that helped you in your breaking of the cycle? I think overall, with all the things that, you know, the struggles that I carry and the challenges, one of the things that has helped me the most is just accepting myself with the struggle. It's like, okay, I struggle with that. All right. Well, that's okay. Because we end up, we, we shame ourselves. Like we say, oh no, I, you know, I ate that second piece of cake or I did this, or, you know, if you have trouble with yelling at people, like we, we, then we, we shame ourselves and we, we beat ourselves up because of who we are and the way we struggle. And one of the things that was the, that is, and even today, the most freeing for me and so critical is to go, okay, well, yeah, you know what? I feel like a little girl that nobody likes today and that's okay. It's okay. Well, there's that little girl again. All right. Well, it's okay that she's there and that's part of me and I'm going to love her. And I I think that that's all part of it. We need to love that part of ourselves and accept ourselves with the struggle. And when we do that, it seems to free us from the struggle. Shame is a really interesting thing that plays into dysfunction and actually how we approach people can oftentimes make them feel shame, right? That's something I've had to work on how I communicate with my wife because we've learned, she just says straight up to me, like you've thrown me into a shame cycle now. I'm just sitting here shaming myself because you didn't like the way I parked the van in the driveway today or whatever I'm picking on her for, right? And um, yeah, so really mindful of that too. How we talk to our kids can really give them feelings of shame then. Absolutely. And, you know, shame is so powerful and it carries with us. It stays with us. And it's so hard to break that. 
And so even in the language with our children, you know, it needs to be, okay, well, this happened and this is going to be the consequence, but I still love you. I, you know, or, you know, I love you and this doesn't change our relationship. However, this is what's going to happen now. And I think we always have to reiterate, reiterate to our children that when they make mistakes, that we still love them. It doesn't mean they're bad. Like, you know, sometimes I've heard parents say things like, oh, well, you're a bad boy or you're a bad girl or, you know, yeah. God is not happy with you right now. Mm. It's like, oh, when I hear that kind of thing, my, oh, I just, my heart just breaks because it, even when we're doing the most horrible things, God still loves us. Like he's not, he's not up there going, Oh, you know, he's not, you know, shaking that finger at us. He's loving us. He's like, okay, how can I help them with this? And that's how we need to be with our kids. You know, shame just, but it, it usually starts with, we have shame for ourselves. We don't have grace for our ourselves. And then we don't extend it to others. It, it's like what we give to others is usually what we give to ourselves first. That uh, all good and all bad, Cloud and Townsend talk about that in their uh, well-known book. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah that can really oh, mess yeah, up kids, that. right? Yes, yes, yeah. Boundaries, love that book. Those those yeah. two authors, they're those two. I've actually met both of them, and they're amazing men, and they have amazing ministries, and I feel like they've changed so many lives. Right? <laughs> yeah, that really clicked for me. And uh, I think it was pastoral counseling class, and we read boundaries and then got to that section of all good and all bad, like the way we communicate to our kids, it can drive home that there's no in between and no middle ground, they're one or the other, right? And, mm -hmm. and yeah, talk about dysfunction, that's a good setup for dysfunction then. Right. And we all need to learn that, you know, it's not what, you know, we're not all good or all bad. We're both like, we have good things. We have bad things. We do good things. We do bad things every once in a while. We're just going to mess up. We're, we're human. We're people we're flawed and it's okay. And I think we need to learn to embrace those flaws and love those flaws and go, okay, well, yeah, that's a part of me and it's okay. And I'm going to, and I'm going to love that part of me. And I'm just going to, you know, do better in the future. One thing that I like that you said earlier is that it's okay to get professional help because as Christians, a lot of us will be like, no, no, God is going to fix this all, but it is, yeah. it's okay to also take that next step and get professional help. Absolutely. I recommend it. So I recommend it to my children. My husband and I have gotten therapy. I just, I just think therapy is great because it's giving you tools to, to live life as healthy as possible and, you know, it's okay if, if you're struggling with something, no one has all the answers. I mean, most therapists are in therapy themselves. So th that <laughs> yeah. should tell us something, right? Well, what's the biggest thing you hear from families? Uh, yeah, I don't know, the kind of commonalities and stuff as they try and break the cycles of dysfunction. What are people struggling with the most these days, moms and dads trying to break those cycles? Wow, that's a really good question. I think it's really unique to each family. You know, if you grew up in a family where everything had to be perfect, then we tend to pass that on a little bit or we, we, we carry that perfection and we feel like we have to do everything just so. And, or if you grew up in a family that had a lot of anxiety, if your parents had anxiety, chances are you've got that anxiety too. It, it's just, it's weird. It's just, it, it's just part of our DNA. It seems like if, if, you know, if, if a, if a family struggles with something, it just seems to pass down. Like my family, it was, it was food and I think anxiety too, but the main thing was just food and unhealthy relationship with food. And that was so, you know, blaring that all the others just kind of took a back seat. 
Um, but I think each family has their own things that just seems to be, you know, struggles. And I think the first step is just recognizing what is it? What's the, what, you know, what is it about my family that a lot of us struggle with? And so now I need to, you know, try to get some help for this. And there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. There's support groups, there's therapy, you know, there's all kinds of ways to get more healthy. And I'm a big proponent of support groups. I think support groups are so good. There's something about being in a circle with people and people accepting you no matter what's happening. It's like in, in like, there's no crosstalk. People say, Hey, this is what happened. This is what I did. This is what I'm struggling with. And the other people just kind of listen and they understand. And then they tell their story. There's power in that. It's just having someone listen to you and then hear that other people struggle with you struggle with. It's crazy how that can break a cycle. Just doing that, just listening and being able to share what's going on. Sometimes when we put a name to it, when we talk about it, then suddenly we've got victory over it. It's, it's like, it's like almost like a miracle. It's like a crazy thing that just sharing what's going on can eliminate it. And you're like, wow, I haven't struggled with that in a while. And it's because we're talking about it. It's a great reminder that none of us are perfect, that there's dysfunction amongst all of us. That's right. Everyone, everyone has dysfunction. And, you know, if we, if we go to our Bible, like in Psalm 34, 18, it says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I mean, God knows that none of us are perfect. God knows we need him. God knows we continually need to go to him. And, you know, that's how we are. Like we are flawed people and we need to look to God on a daily basis and say, okay, God, I can't handle this. I'm going to give this to you. And God is always there. And just doing that in itself, just saying, okay, this is kind of big. I'm handing in this to God. That is a way that, that we can just stay firm in, in our relationship with God and walking the path that we want to walk. You mentioned at the start, like with the example of your name, you went for a walk with your mom and you brought up like, do you like your name? Why would you give it to me? <clears throat> do you recommend for us to quit passing on dysfunction to the next generation? Should we bring up those areas of hurt and talk those through with our parents if they're still around to do that as adults? Well, that's a very delicate thing to, to right? think about and to do. <laughs> I think it depends on the emotional state of our parents. Some people are our parents, but they're really emotional children. So you can't sometimes have those conversations. Now, I know with my children, my husband and I have given all three of our adult children permission to bring up anything that they want to bring up. We'll talk about it. We'll apologize. We'll say, yeah, we understand how that could have hurt you. Um, we're sorry. We didn't, you know, we didn't mean to do that. Um, and, we, you know, we'll ask for forgiveness and we'll say, we're sorry. And we'll talk about it. And I remember one time I was with my daughter and she brought something up and I was listening to her and I'm like, wow, that's painful. I'm really sorry. I'm like, I did not handle that well. I am so sorry you had to go through that. And she just stopped and she got teary eyed and she looked at me and she's like, mom, I'm so thankful that I can come to you with these things. And, and you understand, like, I'm so thankful for that. And so, you know, I want to give that to my children. Now with my mom, I love my mother dearly, but she can't have those kind of conversations. If, if, if I were to bring, like just asking her about the name thing, 
Like that's as deep as it's going to go. Like it's not going to go any deeper than that. Because if I were to talk to her about things that were really tough, she couldn't handle it. She would probably start crying. She'd probably start yelling at me. Um, You're going to regret this when I'm dead. You know, that's one of the things that she said to me over and over. So it depends on the emotional state of your parents. What I've learned to do with, with my own parents is recognize that they're flawed They did the best they could with me. They gave me the best that they could give and they're just who they are. And I just need to accept them and love them for who they are today. But I'm probably not going to be able to get those closure conversations. Well, not probably. I know I'm not going to be able to have those closure kind of conversations like, hey, like this kind of hurt when I was a kid. You know, why'd you do this? You know, that kind of thing. I know I can't have those conversations with them because they're just not emotionally in a place where they can handle that. But I think it depends on where the parents are at. And, you know, if you can't have those conversations, sometimes it's good to just, you know, write a letter to them that you never send so you can get those things out. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. And, and I've done that too, where something's really painful and you just write a letter because there's, we all have people that we can't have those conversations with in our life, like a boss or, you know, someone that's really hurt you, but you know, maybe an old boyfriend or something. And, you know, you can't really have those conversations with them. So, you know, you sit down, you write a letter to them. Then in the letter, you, you know, write what you'd like them to say to you. Um, and then, and then you just put it to rest and say, I'm going to forgive you or whatever, but, you know, getting it out on paper in whatever form, you know, there's other ways to do it. Like there's, you know, question what you're thinking and ask yourself some questions like, is, you know, is what I'm thinking about this really true? Do I need to examine this more, but getting it out on paper, writing it out. There's times where I've just opened my computer and written a letter to somebody just, you know, I'm, I'm pounding away on my keyboard. Um, and then I just delete it when I'm done. I know. Don't put the email address in the two line though, in case you hit send by mistake. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it's, it's a word document. That's not going anywhere. I don't, I don't I'm not making that mistake. I think one of the biggest aha moments for me is, I mean, my parents did pretty good. Right. But like you said, we all make mistakes and fail. And uh, a few years ago I was sitting there and then I realized I, I was thinking about a specific time in my life as a kid right where they kind of they messed up and hurt me and then I was thinking about that and I realized wow they were like four years younger than I am now and they had kids that were like six years older than mine are now and no wonder like I barely can do this and they were even younger than me doing their best and dealing with a lot of uh, stress in their life at the time so they did pretty good all things considered. Yes. And when we see our parents as just flawed people who are doing their best and, you know, who love us, it it just, it kind of changes the way we view it. Like, you know, we can revamp. Like there was one time I was, I was turning six and my mom put together this whole party for me. I was a little kid and she'd asked me what kind of cake I wanted, what kind of filling. And I said, I wanted pineapple filling in my cake. And so when we were all around the little table, you know, the kids with the birthday cake and one of the kids screamed out, oh, banana filling. I love banana filling. And I just flipped out as a little kid. I was so upset. And I ran from the table, banana. I'm like, I asked for pineapple. And I was so upset. And I ran away, like from the, you know, little party table. 
And throughout, you know, and as an adult, I was like, man, my mom, she's so selfish. She just got what she wanted. She didn't care about me. Da, 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 da. Like that was the story I was telling myself, you know, here's yeah. another time my mom didn't listen to what I wanted and it's so hurtful and da, 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 da. But then later when I re-examine that story, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. She gave you a party. I had the little party dress and the shoes and she did all these things. She was just doing the best she could. They didn't have pineapple at the store, but I had carried this story as this trauma that my mom didn't give me what I wanted when really she was just doing the best she could. And I framed it in a way that just was hurtful for myself. And so I had to reframe it and go, no, she just did the best she could. She was trying to give me a party. Like, you know, all that other stuff that that wasn't part of it. And, you know, we, we tend to take our hurts and we create these stories and I had to look at it in a different perspective and go, no, she was just doing the best she could. A, a lot of this comes with being a parent ourselves and maturing. And, and as you said, then you get that whole new perspective of what actually happened. Absolutely. When you have your own children, sometimes you go, <laughs> oh, like I have, again, I have three adult children, but two of them have their own children. And those two are like, yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, I'm still waiting for the third one, but um, I think he gets it a little bit with his nieces and nephews. At least my husband and I will get complimented from him now and then when the kids are, you know, acting kind of crazy. And he'll sometimes say, wow, like you and dad did a pretty good job. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the day, we all have flaws, but God loves us just the way we are. Absolutely. Again, for those who want to read up more about what we just talked about, want to read your book, how can they go about doing that and learning more about you? The title is The Impossible Kid, and you can get it wherever books are sold and on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. It'll help you with your children, for sure. (laughs) Thank you again for making time for us. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. And thank you so much for joining us today. Remember, if you want to listen to the full conversation again, you can do that by checking out our podcast, Connections with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can find that at podcastfield.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.